Hey, this is Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Mental Performance Mastery Podcast. And today, our guest is a college baseball coach who's been a part of programs that have won 21, let me say that again, 21 conference regular season and tournament championships. He's competed in 17 NCAA regionals, six NCAA regionals, and the NCAA College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. We're talking about University of Houston baseball head coach Todd Winning. He's one of the most respected coaches in all of the game, one of the top recruiters. And before the coronavirus cut the 2020 season short, his team had won at least 30 two games in seven consecutive seasons throughout his illustrious career he's coached or signed six first round draft picks and 17 major leaguers including nine from the university of houston he's a husband a father of five quite a great golfer coach whitting welcome to the podcast hey my man good to see you thanks for having me yeah man i'm glad you're here you know and for our listeners um you know, we, you're in our relationship. We go all the way back to 2006 when you were an assistant coach at TCU. It was the second college baseball team I'd ever worked with in the mental game right behind UC Irvine in that same season. So you and I have been doing this for a long, long time. But Todd, you played at the University of Houston before becoming the head coach there. Like, whatever made you want to get into coaching? Well, it's something I knew I always wanted to do. You know, I can remember back growing up that you know, watching those Cubs games. Back then, we didn't have all this ESPN and, and those kind of things. So we watched the Cubs play every single day before we hit out to the yard. And it did, I just knew it was always something I wanted to do. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, physically very tall. And, and you know, I wasn't a major league prospect. I was a good college baseball player. But I always knew that there was never a doubt what I was going to do when I, when I guess you could say, grew up. You know, and along with being the head coach at Houston, you obviously spent several years at TCU, which right. is where we met and where we got started. And, um, you know, with, with your recruits and you're, you've been in that program for so long, your last year there, you helped them go to the College World Series for the first time ever in 2010. What was that experience like to see taking that program from where they were to get into the College World Series? Well, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, and it was a culmination of a lot of hard work from a lot of folks. You know, you being one of those guys as well who were a big part of, you know, putting that package together to get us the ultimate goal of getting to Omaha. But, you know, in 2004, we got to TCU. I think they'd been to two regionals in the history of the program. So, you know, it's basically building the thing brick by brick. And I, when we brought you in in 2006, I thought that really helped us, you know, kind of put the pieces of the puzzle finally together and cement them and kind of skyrocket from there. We always had great players, you know, and, and even up to that point, you know, getting, getting them immersed and engaged in the mental game um, took a little bit of time. You know, it's not – you know, we always say we just like to do a little a lot. You can't, it's not just a magic dust you sprinkle on. It's got to be practiced every single day. It's got to become part of your culture, part of your lingo and who you are, who your program is. And I think that's what led to the success in that 2010 season, getting that team to Omaha and, and continued at TCU, you know, to this day. You know, and Todd, if we go back to your time at TCU before we kind of close that chapter and move on to your time now at the University of Houston, right. you know, there's, there's, there's always – bumps in the road there's always adversity and when you were the associate head coach at tcu you know you lost your brother to cancer right and, and you know i recently lost my brother during the pandemic and and i know how difficult that can be how did that adversity help shape you know you and your outlook on family life and, and coaching well it obviously makes you appreciate it a little bit more you know and we you know we get to be college baseball coaches we don't have to and you know, I'm lucky to be surrounded by a great family. Obviously, that piece of our family is gone. But, you know, you take something from everybody that you're around. And, you know, obviously, my brother Ryan was a big influence in my life and going through that with him. But, you know, I thought it, I thought it just you immediately become, you know, it, it makes you grow. And, you know, that was, you know, I was balancing 
being an associate head baseball coach, being a recruiting coordinator, raising a family, um, you know, and also having to deal with that as well. So it makes you, it makes you a little bit resilient and, and you really, you know, we talk about 200 feet in the middle game all the time. You really got to, you got to stay focused on what's ahead of you because if you spend all your time worrying about what's behind, you're going to get, you're going to get bogged down. You know, and as you talk about some of the concepts here, as we kind of transition, I know at the University of Houston, one of the things that you've talked about since day one, and I know because I was there, man, I was there day one. So maybe we'll have to talk about that a little bit and why it was so important for you to bring a mental performance coach into your first ever team meeting at the University of Houston. But you've talked a lot year after year about the next 200 feet. Would you explain that concept a little bit for our listeners? Well, I think especially when you're starting a program like we were back then, you, you can't focus on anything behind you to the left or right. So, you know, it's an analogy that we use, um, you know, in the middle game, talking about a car driving down the highway at night with its headlights on. You can see about 200 feet in front of you and you really can't see left. You can't see right. You can't see anything behind you. All you can see is what's driving you forward, you know, and that keeps you focused on the task at hand. And, you know, we we in practice every single day. Our last thing we do in, in stretching is we have a 200-foot run just to remind our team that today's practice is about that next 200 feet. And we just keep building and building and building on that. Yeah, I love that concept of 200 feet at a time. You know, it's kind of like the one pitch at a time process and how we apply that to life. Right. You know, is, is one pitch at a time in baseball, one day at a time as we're going through a pandemic, one day at a time as you're growing a program. And, you know, you've grown – Houston from when you took over the program, growing it into one of the premier college baseball programs in the country. I mean, I've been to a lot of programs around the country, your stadium, your complex, the player development process that you are now rolling with at the university of Houston is second to none in the country. Right. We talk about that player development and you kind of talk about your culture. Something you, you talk a lot about is the acronym Pete and kind of playing off of process. Why, why is Pete, what is Pete, and why is it such an important part of you developing those values in your program? Well, it, it's something that, you know, you have to live by in this program if we're going to be successful, and it's what that we found as a staff is, is, is the most successful tool for us is, you know, keeping it very simple. But, you know, Pete, the first letter P stands for uh, process. You know, every day is about the process. You know, you can't, you can't get scattered. Your arrows can't get moving all over the place. Everybody has to repeat, repeat, repeat do a little, a lot, um, and, and make sure your process is good, you know, and also you have to be able to adjust those processes as you go, the way you practice, the way you train, nutrition, hydration, academics, all those things go into your process. Um, the next thing is enthusiasm. Um, you know, and, and, uh, this is one that's big with me is having enthusiastic people around me and our program be enthusiastic. There's never been a, a quiet dugout that's a winning dugout. You have to have enthusiasm. And uh, one thing I tell the, the ball club all the time is if you go and you think of all the successful people around you or in life in general, whether you know them or don't know them, world leaders, business owners, major league baseball players, the one common trait they all have, unbelievable enthusiasm. You never see anybody that's low energy, not motivated, <clears throat> that's successful in anything they do. Um, so enthusiasm is a big, for, big one for us. Trust is huge. You know, for me, I tell the team, you know, if I have to trust you to put you in the lineup, you know, you have to trust your training. You have, they have to trust their teammates. They have to trust their coaches. And that's what a lot of what we're talking about right now is, you know, stop. Don't worry about what, how you're playing today. Just trust us to prepare you that you're going to be ready. All the skill sets there. I love the team I have this year. They're physical. They're athletic. They're big. They're strong. They look you in the eye. They're, they play like crazy. All they have to do is go out and give me great enthusiasm. Trust the coaches. Trust their training. And it's all going to work out. And the last one's excellence. Everything we do, we want to be at, at the highest level of excellence, whether it's academics being out in the community socially, obviously our baseball program, you know, excellence is the way we represent the University of Houston and Cougar baseball. 
And excellence is the word that's intentionally, I think, up above you, behind you in the new locker room that you all have developed. So I know there's going to be a lot of high school baseball coaches in Texas that are going to be, you know, going through this, call it an interview podcast here, this video that we're creating. And I think for them to get the chance to come to Houston and see your complex is going to help them kind of get a feel for, you know, the culture that you create in that program and how you reinforce and, and implement a mental game system in every single thing that you do, you know, and Todd, you've had a lot of players that have gone on to have success at the professional level. Right. What would you say, if you looked at those players, what would be some of the common characteristics or the attributes that all of those pros tend to have? Well, they have unbelievable mental game skills, you know, and that, that's the biggest thing. That's where it really hit me, you know, hard years ago. We first started, I'd never heard of this before, you know, you joined us in 2006, everybody, you know, kind of read through the, the heads up baseball book and things and used a few things here and there, but had really not really delved into it. But if you look at the common traits of all successful big leaguers, you know, they have the ability to go next 200 feet. They have the ability to go. So what, when something bad happens, they have the ability to get to the next pitch. They have unbelievable routines where they know how they understand breathing you know, and the importance of breathing and being able to slow the game down a little bit. And, you know, the, the kids that I've had make the big leagues um, weren't always the best players. I've had I've had a lot of players that were better than those guys that have made it. But the one common denominator among all of them is they're extremely resilient and their mental game skills were at a very, very high level. You know, and would you say that those mental game skills were skills that, that, that like they were born with or skills that they had or were they skills that you coached in them or we were able to train in them? It's training, you know. I mean, I think some people are born with some level of um, toughness, um, some level of the ability to let things go, but you have to compound it and you have to continue teaching it. You know, there are some great guys. There, there, there are a lot of kids out there that have great baseball swings, but do they know how to hit? You got to teach them how to hit. You know, there's there's guys who have great hands, but their feet don't work. You got to teach them how to use their feet to become a great fielder. So the mental game is is very much the same. They don't always start the same baseline level, but you know, in this program, it is absolutely pounded into you on a daily basis. Whether it be through, you know, um, our WhatsApp that we use, messages to the team, you know, things in this clubhouse. This is twenty thousand square feet of mental game. You know, everywhere it's it's not everywhere you turn, you're seeing something mental game in this facility. Um, and it's it's something that becomes part of their lingo and their daily lives. You know, if you talk about that facility, one of the things that, I, that I've picked up from you that I, that I think every coach should do, and every coach who's listening to this, high school, college, professional, one of the things that when you go into a Todd Winning office or a clubhouse mm-hmm. is there's TVs up everywhere, but those TVs are hardly ever showing TV. Those TVs are like billboards for the mental game where they're showing quotes, they're showing pictures, videos of the mindset that you want your players to have. Could you talk a little bit about how you use that technology and those TVs for mental performance training? Yeah, I think it's really taking us to the next level with the mental game. You know, the sign behind me, the excellence, you know, those are static signs and our core values are across this whole locker room, but I'm really not a big fan of those. Those are, to me, that's more decoration because you could probably grab anybody on our team and say, hey, what are the things that are up on the wall? They might not be able to tell you what they are. They might guess, but they wouldn't know which ones are where. But the TVs, what we do is we use Apple TV. It's 150, 160 bucks. You plug it in. We share. We do upload all kinds of graphics, mental game things, program highlights, dog piles, people having success. Um, you just upload in our photo stream on Apple, and it's just constantly a remind. Every 20 seconds, there's something else rolling. So if you walk in our locker room, there's two 86-inch TVs that are rolling different things. You go in the players' lounge, there's three 86-inch TVs rolling different things. You go in our hallway, there's two TVs. You go in our training room, our equipment room, our coach's office. Everywhere you go, you're seeing great things about University of Houston baseball or, you know, things we've worked on, some of our lingo and sayings in our program um, that are on slides that you and I have built. 
or things I grab off, you know, now with the, with, you know, all the social media, you can grab things off, you know, Twitter, Instagram, screenshot them, boom, load them up in your photo stream. And those things are hitting the kids in the face everywhere they go. So I think it's become a huge part of our teaching and, you know, because it, it's changing all the time. You know, there's probably, you coaches out there probably have signs in your locker room that you truly, really believe in. But do the kids ever take the time to really stop and read it or do they remember what it says? Um, but here, you know, we're, we're in a society to where we want short bursts of information. And that's what the pictures do is they just, they're constantly just rotating all the time. Um, it, it's kind of fun watching the kids see them and, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, we've seen that one four times a day. You know, they pay attention to what's going on because it's just, it's constant. You know, like we, I said a little bit earlier, we try to do a little, a lot. You can't just, you can't take the mental game, you know, like a, like you're drinking out of a fire hose. It's not going to work. You know, you want to sip it like out of a drinking fountain to where it's just a little bit, you're getting a refresher here a little bit every day, but we constantly talk about these things all the time. You know, as you talk about doing a little, a lot, I always go back to the three steps to maximum growth. And I didn't always teach these three steps because I didn't know that I didn't know this was the process that they followed. But when you're trying to develop a skill, right, it follows these three steps. Step one is total immersion learning experience. That's the drinking from the fire hydrant of, oh, I'm getting all this information at once. Mm -hmm. That's like listening to this video or going to a coach's clinic, right? That total immersion. And this is why people come out of those coaches clinics or come out of listening to podcasts and always ask them, what are you doing from what you learned? And the answer, they sometimes look at them and they look at me like I'm crazy. But the key is, what are you doing with what you learned? But the only way you can actually do with what you learn from total immersion is if you understand step two. And step two is what we call spaced repetition. And the spaced repetition is, again, doing a little, a lot. Right. What am I doing a little, a lot to help me to be consistent, to help me to learn and to reinforce that? And then step three is the space or step three is the accountability partner and a plan. Right. And I think one of the things that you've been really good at implementing, and I wanted the coaches to get out of this, this video and this podcast is the system for which you do that spaced repetition and how you do that plan. Would you talk about the mental minute and mm -hmm. how you use that as a part of everyday practice? Yeah. You know, it goes right along with the concept that we're talking about is you just kind of spoon feed this to them all year, but on my practice plan every day, you know, I'll have the, at the very top highlighted and in bold, It'll be mental game. And what our mental game minute is, is I'll take whatever that phrase is for the day. Maybe it's 200 feet. Maybe it's so what? Maybe it's control what you control, so on and so forth. And when I, when I meet with the team right before we start practice, for literally about a minute, I will talk to them about, all right, control what you can control and go through all the things about that or trust or excellence or process or enthusiasm, whatever it is, no more than a minute um, because we are in a short burst of information society now. So it keeps their attention quick. It's kind of like, you know, we used to call it word of the day. Um, it's a basic, same basic concept. And once we get rolling through those things, what I'll sometimes do is I'll have, I'll post something up and I'll have a player, a veteran player come up. All right. What is, what does process mean to you? And that player ready to go. And he'll talk for, you know, a few minutes and, and, and talk to the team about what he, because that gives you an idea of what the information you're giving them. You know, I can sit there and talk about trust all day. And my, my definition of trust may be portrayed as something else to the team. So it gives me a chance to get feedback on, you know, okay, what, I know what process means to me, but as I'm teaching this to them, what does it mean to Ryan Hernandez? What is his take on what I'm teaching? So it, it's kind of eye-opening sometimes whenever you, you expect a totally different answer but than what you, what you actually get. So it allows you to bob and weave to make sure you're getting the message through the right way. It allows you to inspect what you expect, right? It allows yeah. you to basically say, are they picking up what I'm putting down? Are they understanding what we're talking about? Because I think so many times as coaches, we say things that sound really good in our mind, but we say it every day. We've rehearsed it every day. We've been doing this for years. 
And sometimes what happens is we take for granted how difficult some of these things are to learn. And I think we think we can speed up the process when ultimately all we're doing is slowing it down because we're not inspecting what we expect. Right. No question. You know, Todd, I want to jump back to 2006 for a second because you said something that, that, that helped change my career in the game of mental performance coaching. And I remember when we first started working together in 2006 at TCU, you, like you already, already self-admitted, weren't the most aware of the mental game, maybe weren't the most into the mental game, but that came full circle. And I think one of the things when I asked you, when you asked me to come, you know, so 2006, you're like, hey, man, you work with the pitchers, stay away from my position guys a little bit. Right. And then the relationship grows. 2010, we go to Omaha. You take over the job at Houston. You have me come in and speak to the team in the first team meeting. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking you, and I said, Todd, how in five years have we gone from stay away from my hitters to come speak in my first team meeting? And you said, look, here's what happened. You said, I used to think that coaching baseball was mechanics, then plan and approach, then mental game. And now you said the way I look at it now is it's mental game, plan and approach, then mechanics. Would you kind right. of talk about that epiphany that you went through? Yeah. And I think it, you know, I think having your order correct on how you're teaching, you know, a skill is huge. And you know, there's, there's a lot of how-to videos, there's a lot of ways to do things, um, and they're all great. But, you know, I think as coaches, we spend far too much time on the mechanics um, of playing the game of baseball. And, and all mechanics and coaching, it's all huge. But for us here, and, you know, like you and I talked back then, you know, I flipped it to the mental game. You know, my job as the head coach is really I'm the mental game coach. You know, my assistant coach, their job is I coach the team, they coach the players. That's kind of how I have my staff set up. Um, but understand the mental game because if you don't have a great mental game skills, if you don't walk on the field and feel like you're a gladiator and you can get through any type of battle or any type of adversity that happens to you, it doesn't matter how good your swing is. Okay. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a great approach or don't have a great approach. If you're not mentally right on that pitch, you're not going to perform. So for me, it's mental game first, it's plan and approach second what I'm going to swing at, why I'm going to swing at it, what pitch I'm going to throw, why I'm going to throw that pitch, and be able to execute it. And then the final thing is mechanics. Um, because if you, don't, if, you ha- if you have a great swing, but you don't, have a pl- you don't have an approach or a plan at home plate, you're going to great swing yourself right back to the dugout by chasing pitches all over the plate. Or if you don't have great mental game skills, you know, to be able to take a deep breath and slow the game down, um, to be able to get over the adversity of an umpire making a bad call. It doesn't matter how great that swing is how much time you spend in the cage, it's not going to translate to the field, you know, and that, and players are, you got to kind of work with them a little bit because they're all, you know, by nature, we're all result-based. Um, and you try to get them out of that as much as you can, but it's funny how if the kid goes out and he goes over, you know, he goes over three with a strike, you know, a 10 pitch strikeout, a hard ground ball to short and a deep liner to center field. He thinks he failed, but if he goes, you know, blooper over second, you know, E six and a guy drops a pop-up, he's on base three times. Guys like, Oh, I had a great game. You know, and what's frustrating is when you get those kids that have those 0 for 3s, they're all positive quality at bats, and then you get ready to leave the ballpark that night, and they're down there in, a ball, in the cage working on their swing when, you know what, you did everything you absolutely could, those at bats, it just didn't work out for you. You had great at bats, you, you, you spent pitches, you had hard contact, you know, it just didn't happen. But, you know, they hit a couple of dink bloopers, you know, the, the average kid, they hit a couple of dink bloopers, oh, I had a great night, and they get in the car and go home. You know, it's just kind of funny how that whole thing plays out. So they have to understand, you know, before you go down that cage and start messing with your swing, or before you go to the bullpen and start playing with your mechanics, how were you mentally on that day? Were you in the moment? Were you prepared? Um, did you go pitch by pitch? Number one thing I look for is a routine. How is your routine? You know, it's easy. It's easy to have a great routine at home plate and take a deep breath and get yourself settled in 
and repeat the things you do when you're going well. But can you do those things whenever things aren't going well? That's the key to those are the guys that make it to the elite level. They have the ability to reset, refocus, and keep moving. You know, and that's one of the things where you're talking about breathing and routines, right? That mm-hmm. I know that's something that you practice on a daily basis. And yeah. I want to do, I want to do a, um, a screen share here if I can. You know, so Todd, if, if we look through this here, this is a classic example of a Houston baseball pitcher going through and practicing their routine throwing a shadow bullpen, there's no ball. This right. pitch looking out in the center field, taking a breath as part of his pre-batter routine, coming up on the mound with an intentional body language, taking a breath before he steps on, you know, steps onto the rubber, we'll get the sign, right? And kind of working on taking those breaths. Would you talk through a little bit about kind of what shadow bullpens are and, and why you do them and how often you do them? Well, and the thing about shadow bullpens, you've got to have buy-in from the player. You know, if you don't, it just becomes extra exercise um and and the greatest players that i've had if you look at any you know any big league player especially in these playoffs that we're going through right now i mean there's some big moments in games and you know we have a saying in our program the bigger the moment the bigger the breath you know and the science behind it is um you know you get the you get the fresh air you get the oxygen in your body into your blood it allows you to think clearer and to focus Uh, but that's a skill that has to be practiced and you know you'd be surprised you know brian i have mentioned this but how many of our guys that You'll see them in that far ball bullpen behind Tanner, way down that corner by themselves, working on their shadow bullpens. They, it's not always where Coach Rooney's just standing over them. And it's like, all right, we're going shadow bullpens today. They have to get buy-in and, and, and complete buy-in on what they're doing and how important that routine is. But, you know, you'll see him. He's the same every single time. So when he goes out pitching scrimmages, I expect to see this routine. You know, he, he has things he's doing. He's, you know, he's working on a little bit of a release right there. You know, maybe the umpire didn't give him a call. So he kind of takes the ball his glove and wipes it flushes it, gets right back on there. You see a deep breath before he gets on the mound. Probably another deep breath right here. Yep, gets his sign. Now he's ready to go. You know, and from a pitching standpoint, even at home plate, you know, there are different times within that routine where they'll take that big breath. To me, I'm not real concerned when you do it. I just want to see a, I want to see your shoulders go up and down, big breath, get some oxygen in your body, and get ready for that next pitch. And Tanner's doing a great job with it right here. And the reason why, you know, we're doing these shadow bullpens for the coaches who are listening to this is there's five things we're working on in shadow bullpens, right? Number one is I'm working on my body language, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, always projecting confidence. Mm-hmm. Two is I'm working on my tempo. And if you watch him throw this, this shadow bullpen here, his tempo would be the same in terms of how he's moving between pitches as it would if it was a game. The third thing we're working on is the visualization of the pitch, right? There's no catcher, there's no hitter, but he's seeing a catcher. He's seeing the signs. He's seeing a hitter who's on top of the plate. He's seeing the window trying to get the ball underneath his hands. Not only is he seeing it, but he's taking visualization and making it a like full sensory activity where it's see the pitch, feel the pitch, hear the pitch, building right. in as many senses as I can. The fourth thing he's working on is that pre-batter routine in the pre-pitch routine where you saw the breath. And the fifth thing he's working on is that red, yellow light release. Would you talk a little bit for a minute, Todd, about red, yellow light release? And what is this concept of signal lights? Well, I have a great example of this from practice the other day, Brian. I had a freshman out here. We're doing bunny drills for the first time, and he can't get one down. Um, you, know, he's, and he's, you know how we do sometimes in practice, especially bunny, it's like feeding balls. Things start spinning out of control, which, I mean, my jo- and I've told him this. My job in practice is I'm trying to speed my team up and get them in red lights as much as I can. That way they learn to get them – they have to learn to, the ability to get themselves out of them. That way we play an opponent. Our fast is going to – our fast pace is going to really rush the other team and get them into red lights quick. We're going to be playing at a normal, nice pace. But I walked up to him and I said, all right, do me – do me." I stopped it right there. I said, hey, take one deep breath, jump back in, and let's get this button down. Took a deep breath, 
boom, laid it down perfect. And you see, his eyes got this big. <laughs> and I said, hey, man, I just showed you a magic trick right there. The key to the key, what could be the key to your success is learn that when things are going bad to take that breath. But, you know, red lights, yellow lights, green lights, it's obvious. I mean, red lights is when things are moving too quick for us. Um, you know, umpire makes a bad call. Um, you know, we, we make an error. We don't, we throw a pitch right down the middle. It gets hit out. Um, all the bad things that can happen in baseball, which there's a bunch of them, you know, yellow lights is leading up to that point. Um, you know, some things that, you know, aren't catastrophic or as bad as maybe a red light, but we're a situation where we're not comfortable and we don't feel like that gladiator. We don't have our swagger. We don't have our shoulders back. Um, and green lights, obviously when everything's going great the ball looks like a beach ball coming in there. I'm on the mound. I'm throwing darts when I'm fielding ground balls, everything's right in my glove straight to first base, everything's hunky-dory and everything's running great. So the ability to get yourself from those red lights back into a green area, you know, and sometimes you got to fake it. You know, sometimes you got to act, you know, sometimes acting is how you feel. You know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to trick your mind and trick your body into getting yourself back into those red, in those green lights. And, you know, we talk about, I talk to my team all the time, especially when we're doing our physical training, don't listen to your body, talk to your body. Your mind is a very, very powerful thing. And if you sit there and listen to what your mind's telling you, Oh my gosh, I hope I hope this guy to hit this pitch out. Oh, there's 6,000, 10,000 people here. Oh, this is the pitch to get us to Omaha. Um, oh, I don't feel good today. Those things will get you in a trap every time and they'll never lead to success instead of, hey, I got 10,000 people here. Let's go. I'm ready to do this. Or, hey, you're not, you, I'm dirty today. You're not hitting this next pitch. So what? I gave up a single to give up an RBI. We still got a one run lead. Boom, I'm back up there. I'm executing this pitch right here. So, all those different things, it's all about how you talk to your body, how you talk to your body and talk to yourself. You know, when you talk about acting changes, everything, right? And faking it until you make it. I mean, a player who you recruited out of Weatherford Junior College to TCU, a pitcher by the name of Jake Arrieta, who won a Cy Young in 2015 with the Cubs in a World Series in 2016. Yeah. One of the he writes underneath the brim of his hat is ace. Mm-hmm. This stands for acting changes, everything, you know, and UFC champion George St. Pierre would often say that he gets nervous and gets scared going into fights, but he has something to go to when it gets difficult whether that be acting, whether that be breathing, whether that be releasing his signal lights to get him back in control of himself. Would you talk a little bit about just that concept of having something to go to? Yeah, I mean, Arietta is a great example because you look at Jake Arietta, and, and I love Jake. He's going to become a great major leaguer, obviously. But, you know, the big beard, and he's jacked up, and he's a tough-looking guy. But when you talk to Jake one-on-one, he's like the sweetest, nicest guy you've ever met. But when he gets on that field, he is an absolute warrior, you know, so he has the ability, you know, when he puts his uniform on, he goes from super nice guy to, you know, he's going to go, he's going to go right through your lineup and make it extremely tough on you. He's going to fight you tooth and nail. Um, you know, he looks like a mean, violent person by the way he plays the game. Um, but he's, he's one of the sweetest, nicest guys you'll meet off the field, but he has that ability to put himself in that role. He's kind of like Superman. You know, he, when he puts on the cape, it's, it's in the uniform for him, you know, it's go time. Speaking, speaking of Superman, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to share our screen here and play a video of, um, you know, Yale, Yale University. And one of the things that, that they do there uh, is kind of going through and they have, they have a concept that they use, which is called Clark Kent to Superman. Mm-hmm. And the great part about Clark Kent to Superman is this video here, which I'm not sure if you've seen, but it's, it's, a set, it's exactly what you're talking about, right? Let's take a look. Not easy being a student athlete at any level, but balancing football and the classroom in the Ivy League is certainly a challenge. Yale football players are trying to get ready for a game against Holy Cross on Saturday, and at the same time, they're taking midterms. So how do they manage to do both? Uh, we actually do this thing. We call it uh, Clark Kent Superman. So when we're at the football field, we're, we're Superman. We're back at... Uh, 
school where Clark Kent, be where your feet are. And that's my, you know, it kind of goes from that. It's like, if you're on campus, be the best Yale student you can be. When you get out to the football facility, be the best Yale football player you can be. But don't let the two cross because then, you know, you're, you're not being fair to yourself on having the opportunity to get the you know, best education in the world and play Division I football. And I think that just goes to show that what we're talking about here from a mental game standpoint, Todd, it's not just a baseball thing. Like this is a high level human performance thing that people have to have to give them the best chance for success. Would you agree? There's no doubt. And, and, and the skills that I've learned from you since 2006, and I, and, I, and I know that my players in the past and present that have learned is this, the mental game and the way you go about things, not just what it's not on the field only, it's everything in your life. And you know, there are a lot of times I'll be at home and stuff's going on. You know, how stressful that can get sometimes with wife and kids and just daily life. And I'll find myself sometimes just catching a deep breath. You know, my wife is like, what, what, why are you breathing so heavy? I'm like, yeah, now I subconsciously just know in my mind, I'll just take a deep breath, slow things down a little bit and try to make the best decision for that point. And, you know, it goes the same thing when you're test taking or, you know, there's so much adversity and so many things in life that, that you can't control. You have to learn to control them. But, you know, being able to, Talk to yourself, work through that breath will help you in all areas of your life. But talk about getting coaching staff buy-in, you know, because I think that's something that as, as an assistant coach, it's different than when you're a head coach. As an assistant coach, it's like, do you buy into it, right, for you and your position group? But as a head coach and somebody who has had a lot of success and has, has coaches go on to other programs, how do you continually get your staff to buy into this way of thinking and attacking the game of baseball in your program? Well, for the most part, it's not an option. You know, this is part of our culture and culture and this culture is not optional um, for, for myself, for coaches, trainers, players. You know, this is how this is what Cougar baseball is and this is how we do and this is what we do. Um, but I think also surround yourself with great people that can also bring some things to the table. You know, that's part of for me, you know, the interview process and getting to know people that I bring in is that they have some of these traits that I'm looking for, the, you know, the ability to coach players. You know, they understand the middle game. But, you know, the thing that I found with the, the coaches that we've hired over the last couple of years is they want to be a part of something, you know, and to be a part of something, part of it is, you know, our mental game training, how much emphasis that we put on it. So I've been I've been extremely fortunate, you know, and not all, you know, some of them don't come easily, you know, but I think once they once you can show them, you know, like, you know, hey, look at this routine here, this major league player. Now look what our guy's doing. Look, look at, you know, this moment in the NLCS when, you know, he gets on the mound, takes a huge breath, executes a pitch. You know, we can show them examples of it. It's like, you know, and a lot of guys, a lot of great coaches are teaching these things already. They just haven't packaged, packaged them up so much um, into something that's presentable. You know, great coaches, if you think about it, have always had great mental game skills and tools and the ability to, to, to um, matriculate that through their team. They just never really have the ability or the, you know, somebody like you to kind of package it and put it together for them in a present in something you can present to people. Yeah, I think it's it's they do it without necessarily knowing they're doing it, right? right. Like if, if you look at John Wooden, if you look at Bill Belichick, you look at Nick Saban, you look mm-hmm. at Augie Garrido, mm-hmm. Garrido maybe being the exception because of his relationship with Ken Revisa. And I know Nick Saban works with, you know, Trevor Moad and he's looked with Lonnie Rosen and he's looked with Kevin Elko and a lot of mental performance coaches that have that have gone through with Alabama football. You know, I think if you look at a lot of great coaches, they do coach the mental game, but mm-hmm. maybe they don't say we're working on the mental game. It's just kind of what they do. There's no question, you know, and all those guys you mentioned, plus other great coaches, you know, they, when you hear them speak or you hear them talk, it's usually all about state of mind. It's never like, you know, how a guy swing looked or this or that. It's usually, you know, their, their broad-based culture type mental game um, remarks that they make about their team at that time, how their team feels, how their team responded to adversity, how their team won that big game. 
Um, you know, it's never usually an X's and O's type deal. It's all about the mindset of the ball club. You know, Todd, one of the things too, I think that I've heard you say a lot is, you know, in-game mental practice. Right. Like, like when mistakes made in the game, you see it all the time, especially in, in high school, is you'll see like our youth, youth baseball a player yeah. makes a mistake and a coach goes and, and, and blows him up, right? When the player yeah. already feels terrible because they made a mistake. Sure. And one of the things I've heard you say a lot to your coaches is, hey, is that going to help us win the game or is that making you feel better? You right. know, talk a little bit about that and kind of working with your assistant coaches and getting them to grow and to being better at the, their management and how they work with their guys. Well, you know, as a head coach, you know, you're, the, you're kind of the captain of the ship. And as soon as something goes wrong in that dugout, this is one thing I learned as a young coach way back is as soon as something goes wrong in that dugout, guess where everybody's going to look right down there at the end of the bench and see how the head coaches react. And if I have, a, if I look like I'm panicked or I'm losing my mind over it, you know, not practicing the proper mental game skills, like I've been preaching to these guys all along, all that, all my credibility goes right out of the, right out of the gate. Um, so, and you have to, and the assistant coaches are the same way, you know, they have to build, they have to stay, you know, somewhat stoic, and confident and maintain their swagger because baseball is hard and things are going to go wrong, you know, and, you know, when mistakes are made in the game, you know, you're right. I, I do remind my guys a lot that, you know, if we kick a ground ball at shortstop, you know, is it really going to do any good if that guy's giving you everything he's got on that day to go yell at him for kicking that ground ball? When actually you're probably yelling at yourself because you didn't get him enough ground balls that he's prepared to make that play, you know, Lack of effort, those things, yes, during ball games or practices, lack of effort is always addressed immediately. But if it's not going to help us win that game on that night, then there's no point in talking about it. But I think as coaches, a lot of times, you know, we will say things to players just to make ourselves feel better, um, or at least to know we said it. And although you may be 100% right on what you're saying, that's what practice is for, you know, and that that's one thing you see. I do see it. I've, I've had kids go through Little League and youth programs. You see it a lot at the youth level where – all of a sudden the game starts and everybody in the stand starts coaching. It's panic time where, you know what, if you'd have been in the backyard with a bucket of wiffle balls, you know, you wouldn't have to tell you know your son to make sure his feet are square or to make sure his weight's distributed right, you know, or not to swing up or swing down or whatever they're doing. That, that's, that's, those kind of things are done at home and, and practice. Um, in the game, nobody can, nobody can sit there and be taught to hit while you're hitting. Um, that those kind of things don't ever work. But, you know, I think that's why the important of practice and understanding, you know, you've got to get, practice as much. For me, practice is for me. The, the game is for the players. And that's where I've always been. I want to sit back. I'm gonna, my job is to manage them and to let them go play and, and be their best athlete. Go out there and be athletic. Go trust your training and just go play the game. And more times than not, if we do that, we're going to win the game. You know, it's when we get up tight or things start to go wrong for us, dugout gets quiet. Now then things start to snowball and that's where, you know, they have to be, and it's not, it's, you know, the mad, the middle game is not magic. It's, you don't just say, okay, we're going to win every game. We're going to lose, you know, and we lose, we're going to learn from that loss. We're going to go back the next day or that night that after the ball game or practice next day, and we're going to talk about it. But, you know, every day is a learning opportunity. This game is hard. So, you know, when you're, when you're already bringing the angst and the grief of a mistake in a baseball game, and you're doubling it by yelling at a kid or getting on him for something you probably really didn't have him prepared for, that's not going to help you win that ball game. You know, and it's, it's interesting, Todd, kind of knowing you as well as I do now here since our relationship started in 2006. And, mm-hmm. you know, your son, Matt, is now, I believe, a senior in high school. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And, and, Peter, and, yeah. and your son, Talon, is just kind of getting started in youth baseball. Right. And you've, so you see it from a lot of different perspectives. You recruit top high school and junior college talent. 
You're coaching Division One college baseball at the most elite level. You have a son who's a senior in high school. You have a son who's just getting started in the game of baseball. As a dad who goes and watches these games, mm-hmm. like what's missing right now in the youth baseball side of things? Like what's missing and what advice would you give to say, like, we need to take this approach as parents at the youth level or this approach as coaches at the youth level? Well, I think, you know, I think youth coaches, you got to tip your hat to those guys. They spend a lot of time with kids, you know, and, and, and I'm a big fan of kids playing a lot of baseball. You know, you see some things out there and opinions where, well, they play too much. You know, they do this too much. What better way for your kid to spend time than playing baseball or playing football or playing soccer, as opposed to being in the house playing Xbox or PlayStation. Um, so I don't think you can get too much baseball. I think your kid will dictate that for you. You know, you can wear them out and you can shove it down their throat a little too much or where they get tired of it. But, you know, I think overall our game as a whole is in really good shape. You know, I think, you know, practicing can always get, you know, the build learning how to have practice and, and set up a functional practice where there's tons of repetitions. You know, if you if you just set up a practice where everybody's trying to move around and getting a lot of reps in, you're going to have a better team automatically. You know, sprinkle in a little bit of mental game for them at a young age and let them start grasping onto that. But, you know, it's everybody says that he wants the kids to go have fun. And I, and I agree with that 100 percent. Youth sports have to be fun. If you don't enjoy something, you're not going to do it. But, you know, winning is a lot of fun, you know, and that's that's what every kid wants to do is they they like to win. They like to play to win. Um, but I think overall, you know, I think the people that, you know, I don't think youth coaches get enough credit for the time that they spend, you know, with our children. Um, and I think that we had as parents need to respect that time. And when you show up at the ballpark, you know, there's a, there's a lot of times that, you know, you, you need you show up at the ballpark, you need to drop them off and let them ha- let that let that neutral third party have their time with your son. You know, and for me, maybe to a fault, I've always been that way with both my kids or all my kids is I don't usually stay for practices, you know, or I'll stay and I'll just watch and I'll go in the outfield and don't say a word because I want them to learn to be independent. I want them to learn to trust their coaches. I want them to learn to stay locked in on a practice. So, you know, at games, I don't say a whole lot to my kids. Practices, I don't say a whole lot to my own children just because they need to, they need to work for, play for, you know, somebody else besides me. And, you know, what you'll find is, the things I tell them at home, they might not always listen to. They'll listen to that guy out there coaching them. You know, it's come from, it doesn't come from dad. It's a lot, it's a lot better idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> I was the same way growing up. I remember that clear as day, you know, but it's, yeah. it's finding out who they listen to and letting it be their experience, you know? Sure. And I think when we're talking about their experience to maximize the experience for the coaches listening to this at the high school level, for the parents listening to this, who have children that are into baseball or into sport mm-hmm. to maximize the experience to get the most out of your ability, to get the most out of winning, would you say that the mental game is a necessary part of that, of that process and that journey? Oh, absolutely. There's no question. Because, I mean, basically what you're doing through youth sports is you're setting kids up for success for the rest of their life. You know, and, and when kids come into our program, it's not, it's not just about the three or four years that they're here. It's about the next 40 years of their life, setting those guys up to be successful. You know, many of us on this level have had a lot of kids go on and play Major League Baseball. You know, um, but we've also you know, what, what I take a lot of pride in is you guys who come out and leave here are great coaches. They're great dads. They're great businessmen. They're great attorneys. You know, whatever they whatever area they decide to go into, <clears throat> they become very successful at it. And, you know, you'd be surprised when they come back. They talk about how in meetings, you know, when they're working with their teams or they're working with their employees, you know, how much of the mental game stuff that they use, you know, in everyday life. And, and you, for example, I know you don't just talk to sports teams you handle businesses and corporations because it's all the same. You know, it's all, it's all, it's all life skills and life training is what it is in preparing, you know, preparing these people to be successful and, and productive adults. You know, and it's mindset training, it's routines, it's habits, it's leadership, it's culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all, 
it's all stuff that we cover inside of the 30 days to mental performance mastery athletes program at briancane.com. And it's all skills that we train coaches to be able to have in our coaches certification available at briancane.com. And I think for the listeners to this, that's, that's their next step. If they're a parent or an athlete listening to this, go get in my athletes program. If they're a coach listening to this, go through the coaches certification. And, you know, I think for, for the, the, the listeners and the people watching this video, I wanted to share with them a clip so they can kind of see some of some of this mental game in action, right? And as we play play this clip uh, that was that, that was created by the University of Houston, um, one of one one of the, the things I wanted to show was kind of you know this is what it looks like when we're doing this work. And if we, we can maybe watch this video and then he can kind of talk about some of the key points that he, you as a head coach, I don't think I've ever sat down and watched this with you, so it'll be exciting. But I want to kind of hear what your takeaways are from this. Yogi Berra said 90% of baseball is mental and the other half is physical. And while that's just a yogiism, the mental game does matter a lot. And this week we talked to Brian Kane, the mental coach for the Houston Cougars. I'm Brian Kane. I'm the peak performance coach with Houston baseball. And I come in and I really help the staff and the players better establish a process for competing one pitch at a time to give them the best chance for success. I think it's critical for the players to hear the, the message about one pitch at a time and giving yourself the best chance for success. I think it's probably more critical that the staff hear it and the staff continue to reinforce it on a daily basis because it's really about a two, twofold. When I come in, I'm coaching coaches. I'm also working to help educate the players and helping them on being more consistent with establishing routines and habits of excellence, helping them be able to recognize kind of the mental and emotional part of baseball because it is such a game of failure. You know, you you fail 70% of the time and you're all conference in this game or you're going to the Hall of Fame if you're a professional. So how do they manage that failure? How do they process that failure and use it for fuel to help them to kind of focus in on the present moment, compete one pitch at a time, control the things that they can control, and really give them a process for success in the game of baseball? I mean, one of the first things that jumps out is just the facility upgrades. I mean, the field itself, the scoreboard, the new indoor they're putting in that's going to be state-of-art in college baseball. It's been super impressive to see how Todd has really gotten Houston and the Cougar community behind him to, to help take Houston baseball into the forefront of college baseball. From a player standpoint, the more you're here, the more you develop that relationship and rapport with the players and the more they're able to understand the principles of peak performance and they're able to apply those things to help them go one pitch at a time, be able to handle the adversity that they faced when they were in the Baton Rouge Regional a couple years ago and to be able to use those experiences and some of the alumni that have gone through the program now playing professional baseball to come back and say, hey guys, this is not just something that Coach Whitting's doing, like this is what every team in Major League Baseball does. The guy that's in the dugout with the Chicago Cubs, Ken Revisa, is my mentor. And they're getting the same exact one pitch at a time process in peak performance training that the guys at the highest level are getting. Two Cy Young Award winners in Major League Baseball and 700 guys drafted into pro baseball have gone through this exact program. They're getting the same thing. So the buy-in is there. Now it's just about making sure that they can keep it simple and apply what they're learning on a consistent basis. But what the facilities do is they help the players to recover more. They help the players to have a better experience when they're here, to make their academic life a little bit easier because they have their place that they can go and study. Uh, it helps them to simplify, I think, a lot of the process that they have. And over the course of time, that makes a huge difference in the development of a player and of a program. But it's the players from the Houston baseball program that ultimately are going to make the biggest difference on the field. I think the future of Houston baseball is as bright as it is for any program in the country. The new facilities going in, 
they're, they're, they're attracting the right players. You know, it's not always about getting the best players. As you've heard Coach Winning say, it's about getting the right players, the players that fit within his system, within his process, with the new facility, attracting those players to come here. And I think Houston baseball is going to continue to be on the forefront of the American Conference, to be on the forefront of college baseball. And I don't think it's going to be too long before you see them knocking down the door into Omaha and competing for national championships. Not going to Omaha to just participate, but going in there and dominate one pitch at a time. So as you're watching that, Todd, what are the things that kind of stick out to you as saying, like, that's the most important aspect maybe of the mental thing? Well, I think, you know, some of my favorite shots are you, you working with the team. You know, that's a big part. You know, we talk about the trust factor and, you know, your relationship with those guys um, as being part of our program, even though you're miles and miles away, the constant contact we have with you, the, train, the, the training programs that we've gone through at BrianCane.com um, over, the, over the years. Um, you know, th- th- that's what ties this whole thing together. And I don't know if you noticed that thing or not, but there's three big leaguers in those videos, um, and Fletcher and Romero and, uh, and King, and then probably another possible one in Wong. So we shot that thing at the time, you had no idea, but those guys are, uh, are consumed, you know, with the mental game and uh, have done a great job with it. And that's why they're still playing, you know, at the highest level. But, you know, I think what you talk about there is just trying to have a, a program that is the complete package, you know, player development, um, socially and baseball wise, you know, a family atmosphere, a, an atmosphere, a culture of love, you know, because anytime you love your teammate and love your players, you're going to work a lot harder for them. And I think that's what, you know, the takeaway from our team, you know, along with the, the skills they've learned from you um, over the years to help us put this together. That's what we, that's what we, that's our end result. That's awesome. Todd, last question for you, man. I know you got to get out to the field and get to practice today. Yeah. If you could remove the skull cap of all the coaches and athletes listening to this, and you could plant one seed inside of their brain that would germinate and would take, would take hold and they would live this principle or they would buy into this concept. What would be that one seed of success that you would plant? Well, I think the biggest compliment that I can give to you and to my belief in the mental game is in 2010 when I took the job at the University of Houston, my first team meeting that I ever had before I ever met a player, um, support staff, anything else, is I had you come in and talk to them before I ever said a word to the team, before I ever shook a hand. Um, introduced myself to them. I had you come in and talk about the importance of these skills, you know, and I think, you know, everybody's, we spend a lot of time on how to hit, how to, how to throw, how to pitch a baseball, how to do all those things. But unless you have this one piece to tie all this together for you, you know, you better have really good players, you know, and if we're counting on always, you know, always having the best team, then we're in trouble. You know, there, there's many games we've played over the years here at the University of Houston. We don't have the best team on the, on the field but we played the best that day, you know, and, and understanding the, and being able to, to interject them the will to win and, and overcome those things. That's, what's going to have a great program. Um, we, I don't want to have a great team here. I want to have a great program, you know, great teams come and go great programs rise and they stay on the rise um, throughout the test of time. So the, you know, for us, the, the thing that's kind of tied that all together is, you know, your work with our ball club, the committee, you know, we've had so many conversations about this stuff. And you know, none of this we did today is rehearsed. This is all just you and I bouncing things off of each other. We really didn't talk about the format, but, you know, it's, it's, that's how we've become kind of one in this. And, you know, what and I take it and I share it with other people and you do the same thing because this is the absolute key to winning. Awesome. Well, Todd, man, I appreciate you taking time out of your hectic schedule here during this pandemic and you guys just kind of getting started and getting going down there to talk about the mental game and, Appreciate you joining us. And for our listeners, be sure to follow Coach Whitting. It's at Todd Whitting. Is that on Instagram or Twitter? Uh, both, yeah. On Instagram and Twitter, at 
Todd Whitting. You can join me as well as at Brian Kane Peak on Twitter, on Instagram, at BrianKane.com. Todd, thanks for coming on today. If, if you liked the show and you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating, leave us a review, and we'll catch you next time. Coach Whitting, thanks for being with us. Go Cougs. Really go Cougs. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Mental Performance Podcast on the Ironclad Content Network. If you liked the show, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Brian Kane Peak. I'll see you next time.